Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady and I am here today with Nancy Lemaster, who is the committee chair for the Institute for Supply Management's Hospital Report on Business. This is the hospital PMI that comes out once a month. Another fascinating report from ismworld.org. Nancy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Tim. I'm so glad you have me. Well, I'm glad you're here because uh, obviously the hospital industry, the healthcare industry is so vital to this nation. And it appears that it's finally getting past as the nation starts to get past having to deal with COVID and not being able to deal with things like elective procedures in their normal business. That's right, Tim. We had a really strong month in April. If you remember when we talked in March, people were cautiously optimistic, thinking that COVID was beginning to recede, hoping that that back, that you know, uh, void would be filled with elective procedures, and the numbers really bore it out in April. We saw strong growth across the board. Uh, the PMI was up 3.1% to 61.9. Business activity. 5% to 67%, new 3.5%. So we, we saw some strong numbers, importantly or as important in the context. What we saw from our panelists and their comments were that the vaccine rollouts were really making a difference and that they really thought they were going to be able to, um, to be able to have the capacity to care for and take care of more elective procedures. And they saw that arrive in the month of April. Nancy, I know I've asked this uh, of you before. I wanna ask it again. The non-elective procedures, the necessary procedures of taking care of chemo treatments and things and surgeries that had to be done, were those terribly disrupted during COVID or did they proceed as best they could? Um, no, they were disrupted during the during the worst period of COVID, when actually um, the American Medical Association, American Hospital Association came together, and we canceled all electives. And you don't think of a cancer as being elective, but in some cases it is. It can be postponed for a period of time. So heart attacks and strokes and things like that were being taken care of. But there were a lot of things the general public doesn't think of as elective that were being postponed or done in you know, a small number. Because if there was a possibility that patient would need an ICU bed, we couldn't in good conscience take them if those ICU beds were all filled with COVID. So now we're able to, um, I hope, reestablish a more normal, normal pace. I think the public has gained confidence that they can come to the hospital and be protected from those that do have COVID. And, you know, we're seeing people's willingness to come in and, and get care that maybe they postponed improve. Yeah, good to know. I certainly uh, am grateful that I didn't have to visit a hospital during COVID, although both of my grandchildren were born during COVID. And it's not something that you think about, gee, are they gonna be protected from COVID? when they go to a hospital, because that wasn't the norm. Right, right. I mean, in, in reality, hospitals deal with infectious diseases all the time, and they protect people from those that have those diseases. But COVID was so overwhelming and so new, 
Um, it just, you know, we had to be extremely cautious, not to mention the shortage of PPE. So again, we couldn't have visitors and people like that in the hospital that would need to have um, those supplies when those supplies were in short, short um, you know, availability for the caretaker. So now we're seeing those relax. We're seeing um, patients be able to have, you know, limited visitors in some cases. I understand from your uh, report and the comments in the report that the West Coast port congestion is impacting the availability of supplies to the hospital and healthcare industry. You know, it's not something that we think about on a daily basis. You know, what does a West Coast congestion issue have to do with, you know, my local hospital? Apparently right. it's a big deal. You know, I think the one, you know, thing that the pandemic has really pointed out, whether it's the hospital industry or the auto industry, is that it is a global supply chain. And, you know, when you have serious interruptions, you know, overseas, in China, in Asia, um, where a lot of the raw materials, you think of the amount of plastics and rubber and, and those kinds of raw materials that go into making the products we take for granted every day in hospitals, those products, you know, have to make their way into the U.S. We've had a lot of talk in the manufacturing report, in this report, about the need to maybe onshore that manufacturing. But right now, those products have got to come in, and a lot of that comes through that West Coast port, then they've got to get on trucks and, and make it across the country. And, you know, as uh, Tim pointed out in the manufacturing report and Tony in the service report, the shortage of truck drivers, it impacts every industry, including hospitals. And, and it's surprising. And I'm, you know, I'm, COVID's been challenging, but there are positive things coming out of COVID. We're waking up to things that, we need to be aware of that in order to serve our population here in the U.S., some things really need to be here in the U.S. Yeah, I think so. And also, I think it's helping us have more collaboration between in the hospitals um, industry, between the hospitals and the manufacturers so we can do better planning. You know, I, I think we were a little, we just weren't as mature in having those discussions to try and better predict demand, although, you know, COVID was outside of the, that realm, but going forward, lesson learned, like you said, what can we do to make the supply chain a little bit more predictable um, so that we don't build these big inventories and have hoarding and then, you know, um, then, you know, that creates that bullwhip effect across the industry. I mean, I imagine you saw the in inventory numbers in this report, you know, they were down to 40.5 that's the lowest inventory number since we started collecting data back in April of 2018. So, you know, it gives you a sense that in the comments, the inventory sentiment is saying it's still too high. So it gives you a sense of how much inventory and panic buying, you know, went on. And it's going to take us a little while to straighten that all out. No doubt. Yes. And certainly if I were a, a purchasing agent for a hospital, I'd be grabbing as much stuff as I could. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Not a criticism, just a, you know, observation. Right.
Right. Well, I think it's going to be beneficial for the United States because I think the supply chains for critical, high critical care items, certainly, <laughs> for, a, for a lot of critical items, are going to move more domestically closer to the source. We never know, for instance, will this come roaring back in the fall? Okay. Or a variation. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think other good news we saw in the report was the rebounding on the employment number. You know, we talked last last month that we had seen a 10% drop into the contracting. And how are we going to be able to sustain these growth numbers if we didn't get the employment back? And it seems like based on the comments, we did kind of a reset um, where some of the temporary labor was reduced because we didn't need it for the COVID but more of, I call it the permanent labor force um, picked up than in April. So that puts hospitals in a better position to be able to then take care of those new orders, the, the backlog of orders for you know people waiting for care. So that was a good sign. It's a very good sign. So yeah, again, it's one of those things where we're comfortable and confident in our healthcare system. And then you find that gee, the hospital doesn't have enough staff because of a pandemic or they're reallocated to other areas where they're critically needed. And, and suddenly there are not enough people there to take care of the influx of potential patients. I am thrilled to see that employment number come back. Yeah, yeah it's definitely going to be a balancing act for the hospitals, though. You know, we talked about the fact that volume doesn't always translate into revenue depending on insurance and type of care. So with the price increases on the supply side being really significant, um, pressure on the labor side, um, we're really gonna, I think, see hospitals trying to walk that fine line of, of managing those expenses against the volume and the revenue. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of watch that as it plays out in the months ahead. Yeah, clearly, clearly. So what are some of the other bright spots? I know that the number for uh, this past month was 61.9. Nancy, how does that compare to the prior month or two? Yeah, so we've continued continue to see kind of a, a growth trend. We've been in the growth range now for um, 11 months, but we've seen a little pickup in that number, some vacillation. Um, but I think, you know, seeing a, a strong new orders number, that's always good. That's kind of volume to come, right? right. Um, and then if you remember last month, our backlog of orders, which isn't, isn't supply orders, that's a backlog of orders of people wanting to consume hospital services, went into the contracting range. And that was the first time that had happened since 20. Um, and on one hand, it was a good news because we were thinking, okay, there's capacity now. So some of that backlog is being worked down. But it's, if it's too long, if we don't have a backlog, then we don't have potential new orders coming, right? It's the pipeline. So that, that uh, bounced back up to 54%. Um, and that's really kind of a good range. I mean, to put it in perspective, the worst month we saw was March of 2020. And the backlog was 87%. So at the height of COVID, that's, you know, nobody could get in 87%. So, you know, getting in that 54 to 60 
you know, is probably a, a level that assures us that we, we've got demand and we're going to continue to see that make its way to business activity. Clearly, clearly. Uh, share with us uh, some of the other bright spots in this report, Nancy, because this has been a very encouraging report. When uh, the, the report is in the 60s in the sections that you're going to speak on, uh, it speaks to a strong and vibrant healthcare industry. Right. So I think if you look um, a little bit on the supply side, we talked about inventory. Um, imports were back into the growth range again, just barely. They they were up three percent to fifty point five. Um, so I think you know again we might be seeing even though the inventory is low and the sentiments it's maybe a little too high. I think we're seeing some pickup in purchasing there. Um, deliveries are still kind of in that slow, but they're stable. And I think that, you know, unpredictability is, you know, the worst thing in supply chain. If people know the deliveries are slow, we can plan for it. Um, and so I think you're seeing some stability and that's helpful. And then, you know, if you look in the kind of uh, one of the indicators that's important to manufacturers, especially in the equipment industry and in healthcare or in the construction industry, is our technology spend. So that's usually our capital spend. And that was up 4%. So we were up to 55%, which has been one of the highest levels since the COVID started. We've been hovering kind of in that 50, 48 to 52. So, um, you know, we're, I think what we're looking for now is, is do we have some predictability and some stability? And that will give hospitals confidence um, maybe to go ahead and make some investments in new technologies, maybe expand some services. Nancy, I'm not sure because this isn't an area that you survey, but you serve uh, as a consultant to the industry that, you, that you'll have your finger on. Uh, we hear a lot about manufacturing and even some on the services side about businesses being hacked, cyber attacks. Is the hospital industry experiencing anything higher or lower than perhaps manufacturing or some other industry sector? It, you know, it's, it's top of mind, I think, of all of the information technology leaders as well as the CEOs, because if you think of the activity and the privacy impact of a hack to an electronic medical system, um, any of the hospital systems, it's... Um, you've seen a significant shift. And, and again, it's hard because you're trying to deal with limited dollars where you may be wanting to invest in new technology, um, but you've got to put a fair amount, much more money today than ever before into your cybersecurity. So, you know, if, if you're at a healthcare technology meeting, I think the discussions would be very much the same as the manufacturers and acutely aware of the the sensitivity of the information and the fact that, you know, hospitals rely on the public's trust. That's really critical. Um, you also have the issue of medical devices that are equipped with software, where we've had situations of warning where somebody could hack into um, an IV pump and change the flow of a drug, which could kill somebody. So right. there are things you don't even think of as technology merges with uh, equipment and devices that there could be a, a, a vulnerability for hacking. 
Yes, well, everybody got very excited uh, 10 years ago on what they called the Internet of Things and the Industrial Internet of Things. And you could get all of this new data. They didn't look at the data going the other way, which would be bad news, as you pointed out. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that the healthcare industry is on top of that. And another trend that we see in general industry is automation and robotics. What's happening in the healthcare industry in that day? Yeah, the, um, there have been several areas of experimentation. I'd say that the area of the hospital um, where there's the most, what I call robotics that might replace human labor would be in the laboratory in the ability to move uh, blood samples, the ability for machines to be able to do multiple, you know, types of tests where I previously worked at BJC Healthcare, one of our, our large teaching hospitals actually had a robot that went up and down the halls and moved specimens around um, in, a, in an area that wasn't where you'd have patients or, you know, it was kind of a employee area, but, you know, as a substitute for labor. But the other place where you're really seeing robotics is how they augment the surgeon's skills. So you see robotics um, being used in the operating room with different procedures that add to the, um, just expand that surgeon's ability to control very minute movements that would be hard to be consistent with a human hand. So, you know, robotics comes into play in very different ways, whether it's in actual treatment of patients or like you see in, in manufacturing where you're trying to reduce your cost by replacing repetitive non critical thinking skills in some way with an automated function. It's fascinating to me what's happening in the hospital industry in all of these areas. And I'm glad to see such a strong report come out, Nancy, in this prior month. What does it look like for May? Where are we headed at the moment? You know, from everything I've I've heard so far, although, you know, you, you do the caveat that there are some serious COVID outbreaks in places like Oregon and, and spots, but in general, um, we're seeing a lot of, of uh, optimism that we're starting to shift back to a kind of quote, quote, normal pattern of, of treatment and illness um, and with the ongoing reduction of COVID having staff be able to be vaccinated and take away some of the stress that those frontline, you know, uh, people, the doctors and nurses, but all of the behind the housekeeper, food service, the supply techs, they were all front and center and at risk too. So I think that there's also, you know, a, a reduction of just anxiety for these critical workers. Well, you bring up an interesting point because it wasn't covered well in the mainstream media. We heard about COVID issues at meat processing plants. But we never heard about that behind the scenes worker, as you mentioned, the, the techs, the sanitary engineers, the food service workers in hospitals who were as much as frontline as the nurses and the doctors because this is an airborne virus. Right. So it's very difficult to contain. I'm glad you bring that up because they need to be recognized and honored as well for the work that they did. Absolutely. They did just a yeoman's job. And, you know, those are not necessarily high paying wages either. So they put their life on the line every day. Um, and I 
you know, doesn't take away from anything the nurses or the doctors or the, did either. But we just have to thank the whole continuum of all the people that made this happen. No doubt. Nancy, I appreciate you joining us in Manufacturing Talk Radio for this report. I encourage people to go to ismworld.org to get more information. And certainly if you send anything to us, a question that you have for Nancy, something you'd like us to cover on this report, please send it our way and we'll forward it to Nancy and we'll get you a reply. Nancy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim, for having me. And as you surf to ismworld.org, also go over to jacketmediaco.com where you'll find links to all of our podcasts, including this one. And as always, thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>